everybody, and welcome to Rings of Power, Episode 7. Well, I guess Rings of Power Half Hour, Episode 7, on Rings of Power, Episode 7, titled The Eye. Um, there isn't much that happens with an eye, uh, but I think it's just in reference to, you know, obviously, the Eye of Sauron. Um, but also, we don't really get much on Sauron, so it's just, yeah, we'll see. Uh, apologies in advance if there's a lot of noises going on. Uh, my washing machine is going, and my dog's in the room with me, so she might be uh, making some noises. And then also, I've got a little bit of a mucusy throat. I'm just getting off of a sickness, so uh, hopefully it's not too bothersome. I'm drinking some tea, trying to get rid of it as we go. But yeah, let's jump right in. So the episode kind of starts off. I think last episode, I didn't get a chance to talk about it. That was Jay's episode. But I think last episode, um, where they had that big fight scene, um, I really enjoyed it just because I think it was a change of pace. You know, everything was getting a little like the story was getting pushed a little bit, you know, um, there's a lot of fighting. Um, it was just pretty cool. We got to learn more about Adar, stuff like that. Um, excuse me. Uh, yeah. So we start off this episode, um, in the Southlands, uh, post-eruption, so it's all fire and ash, and it's all dark now, Galadriel's waking up with ash all over her face. First of all, um, I didn't get to talk about this last episode too, but the pyroclastic flow, which is what that big cloud of ash and dust and lightning and fire is, that comes from volcano eruptions, that'll definitely kill an elf, and I'm not just saying that because, like, oh, like, how can, like, everyone else died from it, you know, like, how can the elf survive, but it's like, um, from the first age, from the Silmarillion, there was the Dagor Bragalak, which was the um, Battle of Sudden Flame, and Thangorodrim erupted, and it killed so many elves that the elves had to retreat from where they were, um, because the the cloud of ash and fire is so hot that it just kills you, you know. So I think Galadriel should have been dead if she did that. And which is why all the other humans were dead on the ground. So, I don't know. I think it's just trying... They were just trying to show probably, you know, like, oh, she's an elf. She's one of the high elves, you know, the Noldorin, uh, or the Noldor. And so she can she can survive a lot more than regular humans, which I guess, I guess that's a good way to show it. But also it's really inconsistent with just everything else. So, whatever. We can skip past that. That's like one of the least of my worries, <laughs> at least. So... Um, Galadriel, she's kind of calling out for people, Muriel, Elendil, um, and she finds Theo, um, and then she just kind of like, is like, it's okay, we'll just, we'll go, we'll go seek shelter, we'll go find somewhere safe, and they just leave, like, they don't continue looking for other people, um, whereas in the meantime, Asildur, Muriel, Valendil, um, they're just helping people, and we see that, um, Antamo, uh, Valendil, no Sildur's friend, he is dead, um, and he's like crushed under a, like a fallen wall or something like that. Um, yeah, so they, they're all helping people, you know, trying to get people to safety. Um, while Galadriel and Theo just walk off, so good for them. Uh, and then we find Asildor and uh, the other people are... Uh, they head into a burning building to help like this kind of family or like a bunch of kids. And Asildor ends up getting crushed under um some wooden beams and that was just like oh, i guess that's the end of him and then muriel gets like a face full of like hot coals and ash and stuff um 
and she gets blinded actually we don't find that out until later in the episode but she does get blinded um yeah and then so we go to the harfoots and they're traveling on and they all of a sudden they're like oh i remember this place i think this is the grove or the orchard and then they're like oh you smell the i think they're already starting to bake um because it smells like wood smoke and then they get there and they find out actually the eruption from mount doom in the last episode uh some of the uh the fiery rocks landed all the way to where the harfoots were and crushed some of the trees and burnt up a lot of the orchard excuse me um okay my dog is annoying me now jeez i thought she'd be fine in here she's stop stop <laughs> uh anyway so um yeah so the orchard is all burnt and they're you know obviously that's big disappointing because they just went on that whole uh migration route just to find you know all their fruits and stuff for the harvest and just to see that's all been destroyed and nothing but burnt apples for them so um and the stranger he tries to he tries to help because obviously he knows some sort of magic and he tries to help and the harfoots let him because they're like oh he healed himself you know and he he also protected um some of the harfoots from those wolf creatures with magic so he obviously could probably do this and he, he says a few words, Quenya words. He says, Avinyata, and then he also says, Lotena. Um, Avinyata means to renew, and then Lotena, I think, means to flower. So I think what he's trying to say is, like, you know, renew the tree and let it flower again or something like that. Um, and then he also, I can't remember the word, but he also s says another thing that I know means, like, to awake or to uh, become alive. Uh, so he's obviously working some sort of magic there. Um, and you know, like he, he seems to love trees. He seems to love nature. So it seems like he could be, if he is a wizard of any kind, it seems like he could be Radagast of any wizard. Although I don't know why they would make such a big deal about Radagast in the second age. First of all, he's not in the second age, but he doesn't even have a major part in the story. So I don't know what they would do with him. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah. And then we go to Elrond um, and the dwarves in Khazad-dûm Elrond's trying to set up a deal with King Doran III and he's asking for access to the Mithril mines in exchange for game you know like hunted animals uh, grain and timber for 500 years which is a pretty good deal considering that the dwarves have a hard time getting all those things themselves you know for one they're in the mountains and the only timber they have are pine trees but most of those are stunted um, and they likely have taken all they could already. Uh, as for grain, they can't really grow anything other than maybe just a few small hobby farms in Khazad-dûm. Um, but they don't have fields of grain. And then as for game, um, I guess they could go out hunting for like goats and stuff on the mountains. But um, the elves would be able to provide a lot more. So the elves really have are giving them a good deal, you know, for 500 years especially too. That'll ensure that their kingdom will thrive for a long time. But Doran III says he needs his time to think about his answer. Um, and Elrond in this instance too, he already seems like he's very good at negotiating. And he already seems like a very wise elf. He also calls himself half-elven too. Um, and that he can see in the elves what they can't see in themselves. Basically saying that Doran III can trust him. Maybe if even if he doesn't want to trust the other elves. Because he's not like the other elves. Um, which is true. I think that's pretty cool. Um, oh, and one thing I forgot to mention, this is kind of important. Uh, 
in the last scene where the Harfoots are, uh, one of the tree branches of the burnt apple tree falls on Nori and her sister um, as the stranger is trying to help heal it. And so that, now everyone's like, oh, okay, no, we don't, really don't like you. So <laughs> there's that. Sorry, I just had to clear that up. I saw that in my notes, but I forgot to mention it. Um, oh, and then I'm all over the place, but yeah. And then in the in the room that Doran and Elrond are talking, you can see the axe of Doran, which is a legendary axe uh, carried by the original Doran of Moria or Khazad-dûm, um, and it's right behind Doran the Third. So that's pretty cool. You know, they've kept it all this time. Um, and then Elrond, uh, we kind of cut to a scene with Disa and uh, Doran the Fourth uh, talking about. Uh, his father's decision, um, which Elrond does not know at this point, and Elrond walks into their house, and during the third or fourth, just kind of looks at him, and doesn't really say much, but you can kind of tell from the way he looks at him that Elrond is like, yeah, I figured. So Elrond is kind of distraught, you know, and he leaves, and uh, well, before they leave, they kind of have have a uh, like a bittersweet goodbye, and um. Doran says goodbye, and Elrond says um, something like, we elves do not say goodbye, we say Namarie. And both of them say it at the same time, because obviously he's taught Doran that, but Namarie means um, uh, like farewell and go on to goodness type of thing. Uh, so that's pretty cool. They're, you know, they have like a special like friendship moment, you know, where they're, you can see that they've really... Um, renewed their friendship and that they're still strong friends and uh, it's just kind of a bittersweet moment you know um, it's a really good scene too like the acting is really good and uh, I just think their storyline in general the Khazad Doom and uh, Elrond is just the best so far you know I really like it um, I don't think any of the other storylines compare to it honestly as far as like lore changes go as far as acting goes as far as characters you know um there have been a few lore changes you know with Khazad Doom and especially with that Mithril thing um which could just be an elvish legend or a dwarvish legend you know but so we'll see but I think it's pretty pretty good um and then after Elrond leaves uh you know Durin's sitting at his table distraught and he uh he oh my gosh my dog um and then he uh I lost my train of thought thanks dog my dog's name isn't actually dog, it's Finley, but <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Anyways, so Doran is distraught sitting at his table, and he Elrond gave back that little chunk of mithril to him, and um, he kind of slides it across the table to where that like leaf from a linden tree, uh, you know, was like corrupted with that black disease thing, and so he like kind of slides it across the table because it reminded him too much of Elrond, he didn't want to think about it. And when it landed next to Leaf, you could see it like start to slowly heal the Leaf. And Disa and Doran both looked at it, and they're like, "Of course, it like it actually works. Like they were for real." Um, and then so they go and find Elrond again. Um, yeah, so there's there's hope for the elves in their fake disease. Uh, and then we go back to Galadriel and Theo um, uh, wandering about the wasteland, and then we go to the Numenorians. Uh, Elendil cannot find his son Isildur, and Muriel and Valendil kind of tell him, you know, like, well, sorry, like, he didn't make it, you know, he got crushed. Well, I don't think they said that, but, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and then Galadriel actually starts to give, or she starts to speak more like Galadriel. She starts to give some wise advice 
uh, to Theo and stuff like that. Like, uh, it darkens the heart to call dark deeds good or something like that. And then just a lot of stuff like that. So, um, she's starting to seem like that good old wise Galadriel that we know. Um, and then we also see as the Numenorans are walking back to their camp that Muriel is blinded, uh, from that coal. And, uh, she kind of commands Elendil and Valendil to keep walking so that no one else will know. Um, and perhaps this is kind of leading to a Muriel character where she's like her father Palantir, where because she can't see with her natural eyes, she starts to kind of tap into that like power that her father has where she is far seeing and she has like the gift of foresight and she can tell when things are going to happen and she can prophesy stuff like that. Um, yeah, and then uh, we go back to the Harfoots once again. Sadok is pointing the stranger um, after he injured Nori and her sister. He's pointing the stranger away towards villages of the big people to the north. Um, and he says it's by like by the eaves of Greenwood the Great, which is the first name for Mirkwood um, before it became evil. So uh, that's kind of like the area they are. They're like south of Mirkwood um, on the map. So... Uh, but then we kind of see that a golden flower has bloomed in the apple tree and that the magic has worked and then that there's just like the whole grove is just full of like alive trees and there's just apples on every single tree, like bright red and ripe and big. So they're all like, oh, I guess I guess he was helping. So I just thought the Harfoots were dumb for standing right next to a tree that was about to fall and he was working magic on it. And they're like, well, we'll just see what happens. But that's on them, I think. Um, yeah, back to Gladrio and Theo. This is the this is the scene that kind of shocked me a little bit. I mean, I'm not super surprised, but I think there is an explanation. But um, I just think at first it's a shocking thing to hear. So uh, Theo asks if she's ever lost someone to orcs, and she says Finrod, her brother. Which, first of all, uh, no. He didn't die to orcs. He died to werewolves in the pits of Sauron. Um, but I guess that's just like a simple answer. I guess for someone like Theo, just to be like, instead of giving them this whole complicated story, you know, she'd just be like, yeah, he died from orcs. Um, but then he also asks if she has ever lost someone she loved. And she says, yes, my husband, Celeborn. Now, here's the thing. When I first saw this, or heard this at least and saw the scene, I was just like, I, I was like, what? Like, I could not believe it. But, like, if you think about it, like, Celeborn is one of the most wise elves in Middle-earth. You may not, like, hear a lot about him in the books or even in the movies, but based on lore, based on who he is, you know, he's uh, semi-royalty of Doriath in Beleriand, and then he's also royalty in Lothlorien when he, you know, when he's with Galadriel. Um, at least not king, queen, but like lord and lady, you know, that type of thing. But, uh, just to say, yeah, he's dead, you know, from the wars. First of all, in Doriath in the first age, none of the Sindar of Doriath ever went to war against Morgoth. They always stayed within their borders. If anything, they went to the edges of their borders and fought off orcs like Beleg Strongbow did with, uh, Turin. But that's always on the edge of their borders, you know, on the northern marches. It was never like they actively went to war or to battles, you know. So saying that Celeborn, um, who lived 
within the halls of Menegroth in the first age in Doriath went to war and was lost. They didn't say killed, they just said lost, which kind of makes you wonder a little bit. I'll get to that in a sec, but it's just kind of like, ah, I, I just don't like that implication. You know, they just kind of get a lot of things wrong with this scene, and I didn't really like it. Uh, but all in all, it seems like Galadriel's kind of realizing all of her losses and stuff like that, and just realizing, you know, maybe she has been too hot-headed and stuff like that. So it, do, it definitely seems like Galadriel's changing a little bit, which I like. It seems more like, you know, the good old Galadriel we know. Um, yeah, so... Uh, and, and something I saw, my initial reaction was, okay, I hate this show now. You know, Celeborn, one of my favorite elves, they introduce him in the same sentence that they also kill him, which was just like, are you kidding me? But something that Matt from Near the Rings pointed out in his overview of episode seven was they didn't explicitly say that he was dead. Um, you know, it could just be like they're trying to do a thing where like maybe they reunite after a long time, like he was lost, but then he was kind of like released or something like that. And then uh, they reunite at the end of the season or, you know, at, towards in another season or something like that. Um, or they're going to kind of pull a Glorfindel type move and he's going to be reincarnated and sent back to Middle Earth and uh, Galadriel and Kelborn will reunite again. So I guess that's like, I guess that could work. And I, that might be what they're driving at, because I, I can't just imagine, like, they've done a lot of lore changes, but I, it, it'd be hard to imagine that they just kill off a major character like that, you know? It just feels weird. So, uh, and then also something I thought of is it might, they might be trying to mirror something that also happens in the Second Age when the War of Elves and Sauron happens in Eregion over the Rings of Power. Um Galadriel is with her daughter Calabrian at this time in Lothlorien, and Celeborn is in Eregion. Uh, and Eregion is sacked, and uh, Celeborn escapes with Elrond, uh, who is the true commander of the armies of the north, by the way, uh, and escapes with Elrond to the north, and they find the Valley of Imladris, which comes to be known as Rivendell. And then Galadriel then hears of the sack of Eregion, and she's obviously scared for her husband, so she and her daughter go to find uh, where they went, and they discover Rivendell as well, and they find him safe and sound, so it could be something like that too, where she thinks he might be lost, but then she goes on and finds him again, they reunite, and it's all happy. So it could be something like that too, but it's just the initial reaction that I had, I was like, are you kidding me? They can't just do that, can they? But, ah, you never know. They're Amazon, they can. They can do whatever they want, I guess. All right, I need some tea, man. I think my voice is just getting clogged. Excuse me for a sec. My dog is still trying to get up on the chair with me. Um, I'll give I'll give her a little pet real quick. There you go. Hopefully that helps you. Okay, so where did I leave off? Okay, so back to. Elrond and Durin. Um, so Durin goes and retrieves Elrond and they start mining for Mithril because um, Durin is like, yeah, you're right. Like the Mithril does help and stuff like that. And so they're like, okay, we'll, we'll just do this. We'll prove to um, my father, the king, that, um, that there's a safe way of doing this and that, you know, we can help the elves and, you know, our allies, you know, pretty much so. Um, and Durin mentions that they have you know, that 
his father's name Durin, and then he also like so Elrond I think mentions the fact that Durin's grandfather was also a Durin, which basically means that Durin's two through four were all possibly alive at the same time. And if you know anything about the naming of Durin in the Lord of the Rings and why the dwarves are named Durin is because they are so alike and similar in characteristics and personality to the original Durin in the first age that they are named Durin in his likeness. And it's said uh, after seven Durins have been named, um, Durin the seventh will be the last. And then I can't remember after that, but yeah. So there's only supposed to be seven Durins total. And that means that three of those Dorans were alive at the same time. Um, I don't know how Amazon is trying to do this, but that's definitely not the way it should be. Um, to have three Dorans alive at the same time is just kind of ignorant of Dwarven traditions. Um, and I say this like Dwarven traditions are a real thing, but I'm just trying to be, <laughs> I'm just trying to be, you know, like if you're going to make a Tolkien adaptation, just don't take, just don't do stupid stuff like that. That'll just disappoint fans, you know, like you can make up storylines, you can make up random details, you can have all these things in it, but just don't change lore that will really upset fans, you know. If you're going to do it for maybe like a surprise later, like Celeborn might be, then that's cool, you know, it might get the fans like real angry, but then when they finally find out what happens, it might be like, okay, I guess I can see that, but it's like, just don't, just don't change stuff to make it simpler for non-fans, you know, or for casual fans. That's what I'm saying. I don't know, cause it just—it's just kind of disappointing. It's like every—it's like every episode I hear something new that I'm like, "Why are they doing this?" You know, like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Anyways, besides that, Doran uh, kind of chips away at some rock and he discovers this big chasm full of these veins of mithril. So they're like, "Oh, jackpot! This is sick." But then when they turn around, they see that Doran the Third, the king. Is standing right there. He kicks Elrond out because he's like, you should never be here. Um, told you no. And then he has a long heated discussion with his son, Durin the Fourth. And Durin the Fourth um, mentions that Elrond is more of a brother to him, or more a brother to him as if he came out of his mother's womb. And I, I guess uh, his mother is dead because Durin the Third was just like, how dare you invoke the memory of your mother? Like, when talking about an elf or something like that, or something like that, you know, um, I just said, or something like that, like two times. That was crazy. I just noticed that sick. Uh, (laughs) anyways, so, um, yeah, so like that was really good acting. That was a really good scene. You know, like I think honestly, like I've said before, Kazad Doom, uh, with Elrond and Durin and that whole thing is the best of this show so far, like best storyline, best characters, best acting, uh, you know, best story arc so far. It's it's going really good. I think they did a really good job with that. You know, I'm, uh, minus the lore changes. <laughs> but, you know. Um, yeah, so, yeah. And then we cut back to the uh, stranger. Um, well, not the stranger, actually. We cut back to the grove where the Harfoots are. And... Um, Poppy discovers footprints kind of by a creek and then she runs back and then they also discover um, that these three uh, strangers are up on the hill by where the apple tree that the stranger healed and it's got the yellow flower on it, um, which could be Eleanor is my guess, but we'll see. Um, 
and so the the strangers are like looking at the flower and then uh nori tries to get them to go away like she she guesses that they're looking for the stranger and so she tries to get them to go the opposite way um just so that they can protect the stranger you know because they're like oh i guess he did heal the whole grove so we should try and protect him even if from a distance um so she tries to lead them the other way but then and then uh, Nori's father comes by with a, a flaming torch, and she, he tries to get them to go away. And these are the mystics, by the way. I kept saying the strangers, but they're, yeah, they're the mystics. Um, the three Morgoth or Sauron worshiping cultists or whatever sorceresses. Um, and so the the main mystic, she kind of grabs the torch, and the flame just subsides. And then she like opens her hand. You know, like you're blowing a kiss. She opens her hand, and she blows the kind of like embers off her hand and then in the distance you can just hear screaming and the whole hobbit or harfoot caravan is just on fire so obviously some malicious intent right there um towards the harfoots but you know i can't blame the mystic i probably would have done the same the thing i hate about the harfoots is that they're always talking about how they especially nori's father she he said this too in this episode is that they always stick together you know through like thick and thin through whatever troubles there may lie on the road harfoot stick together because that's what harfoots do but it's crazy because if any harfoot is like left behind or is lagging behind on their migration routes they literally just like leave them behind they're like yeah you're not coming with us so it's like i don't know how they can stick together when they just do that sort of stuff i think it's kind of stupid like yeah, whatever. I don't think they got them down. Whatever. Um, yeah, and then uh, we go to the Numenorean camp. Uh, everyone's kind of arriving there. And Elendil tries calling Beric, which is the... <laughs> My dog just sneezed. Good girl. Go sneeze somewhere else, though. Um, Beric is the horse of uh, Isildur, and Elendil tries calming this horse because this horse is just going crazy, and he finds that he can't, you know, calm it down because um, it misses Isildur, so he just kind of lets it go free, um, and it, it will presumably find Isildur still alive, and it will rescue him and bring him back to the Numenorians. That's just kind of obvious how that's going to go. Um, and then Muriel promises to, uh, to Galadriel... Uh, to return to Middle Earth um, to finish what the enemy has started, you know she's she's basically saying they don't know what they started. <laughs> Just sneezed again. Um, and then Nori takes Poppy and I think someone else with her to help uh, the stranger to find the stranger and help the stranger because and basically just to warn him that there are people coming after him. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then we get. Bronwyn um, talks about... So, apparently, Bronwyn seemed like she was dead. That's what Theo was crying about. Um, and that's the second time where Bronwyn seemed to have died, but then only to discover that she... Oh, she's still alive. So, they have another... Uh, Theo and Bronwyn have another heartfelt moment, and he, Theo even uh, hugs Arondir, who he had misgivings about. So, there's just kind of nice reuniting there. Uh, yeah, and then so Bronwyn, this is where I was going with this, Bronwyn also mentions to, I think it was Galadriel or someone, Muriel maybe, that um, uh, that the Southlanders will be moving to an old Numenorean colony uh, by the mouths of Anduin, 
uh, called Pilargir, which is a real place, and it is a Numenorean colony. Uh, it's not old. At this time, it should be active, at its most active, actually. Uh, and you should be finding other Numenoreans there, or people of Numenorean descent. So, yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll see what it kind of entails, though. It'll be cool to see Pilargir, though. Uh, I mean, you see it a little bit in Return of the King, but it'll be cool to see, like, actual town of Pilargir um, in the Second Age. So that's pretty cool. Um, just a cool little mention. And um, Halbrand also... Uh, somehow survives. They found him on the road, and uh, Muriel or Galadriel is brought to Halbrand, and he's got like a big like stab wound or something on his side, and he's definitely very injured and very sick, um, because apparently like it uh, the wound soured overnight or something. Like that. I think that's what they said. Uh, but he he kind of shows his loyalty to his new kingdom of the Southlands by kind of saying, you know, like I'm not giving up on them. And I'm, you know, willing to go get whatever help I need so I can return healthy and lead my people. So that's pretty cool. And then I'm also seeing a lot of uh, theories that instead of Halbrand being like the Witch King or Sauron, Halbrand could be the King of the Dead. Sorry, my nose is starting to get real clogged. Um, he could be the King of the Dead like we see in Return of the King when Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli and those people go to the paths of the dead and they meet all those ghost people and they're called the oath breakers because they broke their oath to fight against Sauron um, which is very kind of in line with what the Southlanders did with Morgoth um, and uh, so it could be that you know they move to Pelargir and he establishes his kingdom but then the Numenorians move back to Pelargir after the downfall of Numenor and then he moves further inland to the White Mountains and he establishes a kingdom there and during the War of the Last Alliance um, he denies help to the Numenorians uh, against Sauron and under oath which the oath is sworn between him and Isildur which is kind of cool under oath, uh, he is cursed and his whole kingdom is cursed, and so they all become ghosts. So that is a theory that I actually think could work too, more than the Witch King or Sauron, although I would take Witch King. Um, and then we also learn uh, Durin has a brother. Um, Deese is talking about him a little bit when she's talking about how one day it'll be her and Durin's kingdom. And so I wonder what Durin's brother's name is, you know? I guess it's just kind of... Is he also called Doran? That was just a joke, but... Um, but yeah, then we go to a shot of Doran III throwing a healed leaf into the chasm of Mithril, and he tells the other dwarves to seal it. And then all the way at the way bottom, um, the leaf lands, and you can kind of like see a shadowy figure. And as soon as the leaf lands, a Balrog awakens, and there's like just like the fire streaming off of him. Um... Which I think is just kind of like a weird way to awaken a Balrog because, you know, like in Lord of the Rings when they're in the Mines of Moria, there's like, you know, Pippin drops that rock or whatever, like a skeleton or something like down that well and it makes a lot of noise and then it falls like deep into like a, a watery chasm and that awakens the Balrog. So that's like enough noise, you know, and uh, disturbance awakens him, but then a leaf falling you know, awakens him, or maybe he was just, like, looking for a sign to deal with the dwarves, I don't know, whatever it is, it was just kind of, eh, it was weak, Balrog looks sick, though, that was pretty cool, um, 
But then it also begs the question, if the Balrog is awake right now and ready to fight, is the downfall of Khazad-dûm going to take place in this show? Maybe not this season, maybe next season, or maybe the third season, whatever. Is the downfall of Khazad-dûm going to take place in the show? Uh, which, if it is, I don't like that because it takes place like halfway through the third age. And that just gets rid of like so many storylines about Khazad-dûm and the dwarves of Khazad-dûm, you know? Um, and it is called Durin's Bane, the Balrog, because it kills a Durin, but it doesn't kill Durin the third or Durin the fourth. I'm pretty sure it kills Durin the fifth. Um, or the six, I can't remember, but, yeah, now my dog is licking herself, get out of here, get out of here, go, get, get, I'm trying to record, uh, so I just kind of hope that the Balrog doesn't, like, take out all of Khazad-dûm right now, you know, because that would just be, it'd be like, it'd be cool to watch, but it'd just be like, it just doesn't make sense to the storyline, I think it just happens way too soon. Um, and then we cut to the, like, one of the only shots of Adar in the Southlands with his orcs and then Waldrig, and they're kind of like, hail Adar, Lord Father, stuff like that, and then, like, King of the Southlands or whatever, and then Adar goes, um, the Southlands is the name of a place that is dead or, like, no longer alive, something like that, and then Waldrig is like, what should we call it then? And then we kind of get a shot of Mount Doom way in the background in this ashy wasteland, and it's continuously spilling um, ash and fire and stuff like that. And, uh, you see up in the upper left-hand corner, there's uh, it says the Southlands in kind of like an orangish-white writing, and then it like burns up, and it like it goes into like this like black writing that says Mordor, which is a really cool reveal. Um, but yeah, that was just like a random thing that just happens at the end. I feel like that could have just happened early on. And then the last thing of the episode should have been the Balrog Awakening. I don't know. That's just my idea. But So that's pretty much the whole episode. And I figured I would just give you the overview plus the things I didn't like about it as we went on. It just wasn't as exciting as the episode that came before it. Um, and there were some lore changes that were just interesting. Um, I didn't really like, um, overall, I mean, episode was okay, I didn't really get too bored, as I did that one episode, was it like partings or something like that, I didn't really get too bored with it, um, but it wasn't, like, there wasn't a ton happening, and it was stuff that could have, you know, been explained way easier, or like, just shown in a different way, um, it wasn't a terrible episode, though, I would say it's pretty average. Uh, but yeah, so that's just kind of a whole overview of uh, Rings of Power, Episode 7, The Eye. Like I said, has nothing to do with The Eye. Uh, maybe it's just because Mordor. I don't know. That's just kind of weird. I would have just called it... I don't even know what I would have called it. Probably something else, though. I could probably think of something later. But um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my whole overview. I'm really hoping that the, the finale, Episode 8, will kind of redeem the whole season you know I'm hoping it's a little longer than the other episodes just so it can cram a lot more in and make it feel more like a movie but um yeah so I mean we'll see the storyline with Elrond and Durin maybe how that uh, transpires with the Balrog and then you know the elves in Linden um 
you know, will we see what happens? Will we finally meet Anatar at the very end of the show with Celebrimbor and the forging of the rings? Um, what will happen with the strangers and the mystics? You know, what will happen with the people of the Southlands and the Numenorians? I just hope that there's something good that happens. You know, what will Adar do? Like, what is happening with Adar? You know, that sort of thing. So, that's it for my Rings of Power half hour. I don't know if this went half an hour. I didn't keep track of time. Um, but Jay just made it to half an hour in his other episode for the first time, so that's cool. But, uh, yeah, so our next episode... Um, the I don't know if this Rings of Power half hour episode will come out before our next lore episode uh, on Monday, but if it does, our next episode is called the, um, I don't know if it's called the Children of Feanor or Feanor and his sons or something like that, but it's kind of completing the trio that we did of the Noldoran lords, um, you know, Fingolfin, Finarfin, and then now we are doing the Children of Feanor, which is a pretty big story, so uh, go, go check that out definitely when it comes out, and then... Um, our next episode for Rings of Power Half Hour, which Jay and I will probably record the weekend after it is aired, or maybe on that Monday, um, will be, uh, yeah, well, that'll be a uh, like a joint Rings of Power Half Hour. Jay and I will be doing that together. We'll be going over an overview. It'll probably be more than half an hour, most likely, but uh, we'll do an overview of it, and then um, what we liked, what we didn't like about the show and just talking about what might happen next season, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, so this has been Grant Mulder for Exploring Middle-Earth, Rings of Power, Half Hour. Uh, hope you guys enjoy your weekend, hope you guys enjoy your day, and see you later. Bye.